thankful to be here. Before we get going, why don't we um, pray? Lord, we are, we are grateful to be um, not just here in Prineville and not um, here in this building specifically, but to be in your presence, Lord. What a gift, what a privilege, Lord, to be able to think the thoughts of God, to be able to pray to you, to be able to hope in you, to be able to love you and to be loved by you. God, you're so good to us. We are so undeserving. Let us pray today as we open your word, Lord, that you would kindly speak to us, that you would gently nudge us, that you would correct us, that you would encourage us, Lord. I know that there's people here uh, with, with, with all different circumstances in life, God, and you are the God of all circumstances. You are the God that is over circumstances, that are better than circumstances, Lord. And just pray that we turn to you this morning, that we hear from you this morning, Lord, that we worship you in our time together this morning. Change our hearts and change our minds about how great you are. In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 2. I'm going to drink a lot of water today. I drank three cups, I think, first service because I've been sick and been fighting sickness and I got a head cold and coughed a few times, so just be patient with me in that. But as we get going into James, this is the first time that we've gotten in the book of James for some time now. So I'll refresh your memory just, just very briefly, give you a little introduction on James. Uh, James is a half-brother of Jesus. Most scholars believe that, that wrote this. Um, and um, he wrote it probably in the, in the early to mid-40s, so very shortly after the death of Jesus. And as we are reminded in the first chapter, in the first verse, this is to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So this is the 12 tribes of Israel, God's chosen people. This isn't specific to a church, like Paul's epistles are all pointed to a a specific church. Excuse me. Um, And uh, James here is just writing kind of to the the broader Christian spectrum, I guess, the people of, of Israel. And so it's meant to be read amongst all the churches. So this may not necessarily being addressing a specific thing that he saw in a specific church, like Paul like would say in like 1 Corinthians, but just knowing uh, how people are and, and probably seeing this at some level, decides to write this letter for correction, for encouragement to believers. And we're reminded that it is the dispersion, so this is during the time of difficulty. This is the time when um, after Stephen had been martyred and, and the church is starting to grow um, that God spreads the church out through this persecution. So they're going in different regions, different places, different cities. Uh, they're not in their hometown. They're not in comfort. Um, and they're dispersed out. And so James finds it appropriate, finds it necessary to write this letter uh, of, of, of correction, of, of, of what it is to, to have faith, what it looks like to have faith. What does faith look like? Some scholars believe that, that this is... Um, opposite of the epistles that, that Paul talks about, that Paul talks about grace. Paul gives us the, the, the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope in Jesus. And, and some, some scholars believe that it shouldn't even be in the Bible, that James just simply talks about a works-based relationship with God, that, that you've got to work your way to heaven. Quite the opposite. James loves his people and loves the word of God and loves God so much so that he wants to encourage and admonish all the saints to be found in God, to be believing in God, to have a a robust faith, a faith that really believes in who you say you believe. James says that, you know, faith is free. It is a gift of God. It is from God. It is through Jesus Christ that we have faith. James would acknowledge that. It's this hope in Jesus that we have. But this faith will accompany, or with this faith will be accompanied works. These works will prove your faith. It'll validate your faith in God. See, if you say that you hope in this Jesus that is anti the things of the world, in that putting your hope in the things and the treasures and trinkets of the world, Jesus is opposite of that. He, he didn't... He didn't live to to build a big home. He didn't live for a retirement plan. He didn't live to build his name. He didn't use people. 
He loved people. He built the name of the Father. He obeyed the Father. He sacrificed himself. It was God's will. It wasn't the things of the world. It wasn't the pleasures and the toys and the trinkets of life that he was after. And so if you're putting your faith in, in that God, in that Jesus, you're putting your faith in Him, and you're, you're hoping in Him, you're hoping in the things that He has done. And that Jesus says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. You cannot be my disciple unless you come after me, unless you follow me. So if you're putting your faith and your hope in Jesus, the one who's opposite of the world, your life will look opposite of the world. If you're putting your hope and your, your value in the things of the world, if you're, if you're desiring the things of the world, that will be revealed in how you live as well. So you will have faith in the world, the things of the world, or you'll have faith in, in Jesus. And, and, and James is just simply loving people, reminding people, reminding these, these people who are dispersed. Remember why you're dispersed. Remember why you're out here. Because you, you put your faith in Jesus, not in your past religion, not in your identity as, as an Israelite, not in your community even. You put your faith in Jesus. You put your hope in him. And so that's why James is writing this letter. And James knows something that John knows and the other writers know that if you put your faith in Christ, if you put your hope in Him and His way of living, His way of thinking, so everything who He is and He's your Savior, He's your leader, you are a follower of Him, and He has given you a new life with a new vision, I now look at people differently, I'm, I'm elevating the kingdom of God, no longer the kingdom of me, so I don't use people to build up my kingdom. I'm not trying to circle people up to build up me and my name any longer. So now I get, to, I get to love people. I no longer have to use people. The things of this earth are simply to look up to God and to give glory to Him. The good food and the good home and the good things that are given to me are given to me by God. And I rejoice in those good things, but they are not supreme. They are not above that God. James desires to show us what it means to have faith in Jesus versus putting our faith in the things of this earth, in the things of this world. Like I said, he, he, he is reminded that when we have faith in Christ, it makes a difference in our relationship with people and how we view the things on this planet. We don't consider the things of this world as treasures like we once did. And we view people as people to be loved. We see them in the image of God. And so when James sees people going back and identifying with their old nature, the old man doing the old things, the old way, putting hope in different things and wrong things, he calls them on it in love. James is not somebody that's just sitting here writing a five chapter book that says here do this don't do that do this don't do that as a christian and we can really easily do that with the book of james a lot of a lot of doers like to read the book of james because it gives them something to do okay i gotta i gotta i gotta do this for you god now then you'll be happy with me then 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 i'll be accepted by you as i as i do the book of james and then i'm going to turn the rest i'm going to do the rest of this and we're going to see today that these people are being corrected by James in the midst of a gathering of worship, in the midst of worshiping together. So they were doing the right things. They had a gathering of Christians, a gathering of people, and James corrects them and rebukes them right in the middle of that. So yeah, James is the guy that says, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. So deceiving yourself. But doing isn't... It, it, it isn't... The, the, the essence of faith. Jesus is the essence of faith. Hoping in Jesus, that's faith. We, we simply have then works that, that come out of that, that, that validate and show us that, yes, I do believe Jesus. I have put everything on him. So we don't want to read this as a, as a bunch of to-dos. It's not at all how James would want us to read this. Rather, it's our actions, you guys, that show where our heart's at. 
All throughout this book, James talks about different things that reveal where your heart's at. So it doesn't say don't speak bad of people later on. It's like, like speaking bad of people and talking wicked about people and praising God with that same, don't, don't let that be. Because that's what's inside your heart. That's what's inside my heart. And so James is trying to show what it is. We're going to take a look at this in, in, in chapter 2, verse 1. What it is, the difference between someone who shows partiality versus someone that has faith. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the difference in partiality, showing partiality or favoritism towards people versus a real robust faith. Okay? So let's get started. In, in verse 1 of chapter 2, I've got seven takeaways that we're going to see. Seven things that we're going to see what faith really actually looks like. And we're going to see our first one in verse 1. Since, Jane, uh, since Blaine read the entirety of the passage, we're just going to go through and hit our verses now. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The first thing that we're going to take a look at is faith sees no economic standing. Faith does not look out and see uh, rich man and poor man, blessing in rich man, not so much in poor man. Faith doesn't look at those things any longer. See, the, the, the person that's partial looks at those things. Now let's give a little bit of context to this picture here. So in the midst of this dispersion, you have these Christians that are being persecuted. They once were Judaizers. They once lived in a land where they were welcome. They lived in their homes that they had made and built and, and their land that they had inherited. And everything was going fine. They were, they were doing worship how they thought to do worship. They were not persecuted in any manner. They were walking along, doing things, doing life. Everything was great, raising children, going to work, being normal Christians, they thought, in their society. Then, then, then they believed in Jesus. Then they put their hope in Jesus and in the, in the real creator, the real person of God, Jesus Christ, that came to die for us so that we could have a living hope in him, so that we really could be saved. They, they turned and they put their hope in this guy. And then that changed everything for them. People hated them. They killed Stephen. They, they killed people in their church. They started to beat them and threaten them. They, they closed things off to them, like the trading markets and things like that. They, they made them scatter. And so now they're all scattered about, and they're in little house churches, and they're probably underground, meaning that they probably don't want people to know who they are necessarily. A lot of these places, they're, they're not gathered in big, large you know, churches like what we have in the freedom to come and, 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 and um, assemble like we have. They're going to be in these little house churches. And so during this time, the rich people have got authority. It's no different than it is now. Rich people are ruling. Rich people got authority. They got power. They got control. They can provide security. They can provide comfort for you. So you're in a place of n not comfort, a place of, uh, uh, that where don't know maybe where you're going to get your next paycheck, your next meal, your family's you know, off over here. You're wondering, you know, have I done the right thing, believing in this Jesus guy? And, and in walks a person for the first time maybe in a while that's, that, that we know is loaded. In, in walks this one through this door and through this door. Here, here's a poor man. And because of our situation in life, and because of how we're trained to think in, 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 the, in the real world, they say, money means everything. Money means a lot of things, status and power and security, and those things that I mentioned before. And so in walks this guy, and James knows that the bent of our heart to go back to the old man and not trust in Jesus is to go after that guy and to go make him feel welcome and comfortable. Here, why don't you sit here? Remember these verses here where it says that... Uh, you sit here in this good place. Well, you say to the poor man, why don't you stand over here, sit down at my feet. So sitting at my feet is a place of like my servant. So showing no regard for the poor man, maybe not even care that he's really even here to come into worship God, but this rich man comes and you show him regard. There's partiality. 
partiality has different levels, not just in economic, but ethnic, white and black, superiority in that, just false. We know that. Social, education, where are you at? What's your job position? What's your title? How far have you gone in school? All of these things, the, the world starts to separate and segregate and starts to put certain kind of value to every different class. When we're over in Nepal, there's, they have castes. There's four different castes, four different levels to humanity over there based upon your birth. So you, you got no shot. You're born at a four, level four, you're low. You're always going to have these kinds of jobs. You'll be thought of this way. And that's crept into the church. We even asked them that. And they said, yeah, no, that's in the church. You see it. Jesus comes and he breaks all the barriers. So, so what's really cool is James is reminding us, hey, hey, guys, listen, listen. You know that guy that comes in and that wealthy man or that wealthy woman that comes in and here's the poor? Remember your faith in Jesus because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to remind you who this Jesus is. And if you have your hope in him, let me remind you who he is. Let me remind you what he has stood for, what he is standing for. Put your faith in him, not in the ways of the world. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There is no distinction. There's no partiality with God. Got many verses, but we need to kind of cruise along here. Let me get to the most important of the verses that I think that I have here to demonstrate this heart of, of God, heart of Jesus, that, that all things are created equal. All humanity is created equal. Man and woman. You know, in Galatians it tells us that there's no more Greek and Jew. There's no difference. There's no slave or free. There's no man or woman. There's no difference. God has ruined he's crushed all of that. Because we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we all need him. We all need to be rescued by Jesus. Here's the picture that he gives us of his place in heaven. This is coming. The picture that we see, what he rejoices in, what he's accomplishing, what he's doing. Matthew 24, 14 says that he's going out, that he's sending us out. And then we're going to be out there proclaiming his name. And when all the world comes, or when all the world hears, he will come. This is what he's hoping, and this is what he is doing. This is what he's accomplishing. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 says this, Because of the blood of Jesus, for you were slain. Jesus, you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. God doesn't respect positions. It was so cool going over there to Nepal and, and um, meeting with this one, one, one little village. The furthest city that we went up to, the furthest village that we went up to, Siaku, very, very, very primitive. Very primitive. Um, and we got to worship with them. They brought their church together on a, on a night that wasn't a normal time of worship. And we got to worship with them. And we rejoiced with them. And we cried with them. And we prayed with them. And we shared with them. We shared life and just a few little bit of hours, you know, a little, little bit of time in our lives to be able to share with them and rejoice with them, seeing that they were equal to us. We were the same. We were, we were one. We rejoiced with God together. And these people were so poor. They're just they're desperate in the way that they live. They, they don't even understand the basic necessities of health care. A woman's finger was all swollen and she didn't know what was going on. Her hands were black. She had a simple infection in her hand and she didn't know. There was an old guy, about 80 years old, that struggled with stomach problems for a long, long time. He hurts. He doesn't know what they are. doesn't know what it is. doesn't know what's causing it. But these little antacids help. They eat tons and tons of spicy food. He needs to not eat spicy food and he'll probably be fine. There's a big difference between 
those guys in, in the way that they live, in the way that we live. But the gospel brought us together and we held hands with them and worshiped Jesus because that's what the gospel does. It breaks down everything, all the barriers. Look, we have representatives right here of different nations with us today rejoicing in the same Jesus that we rejoice in because Jesus breaks all the barriers. And so James, loving his people, reminding them quickly, partiality, that's the old man. That's the old way to think. That's the old system. Don't do that. You rejoice in the hope of Jesus. Moving on. Number two, faith trusts in God for provision. Faith trusts in God for provision. We see through the the first several verses here um, that there's partiality shown towards the rich man. Verse 4 says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So the thoughts being that this rich man is going to provide for me something that I need. This rich man is going to be a benefit to me. Faith trusts in the provision of God. Partiality trusts in the vision of man or in the, in the provision of man or in the provision of things, things that this man can provide. And so James attacks that. Why do we not trust in God in his provision? Do we not believe? We, we think Jesus loves us, but we're not sure if he can provide for us. We're not sure if he's got the ability to pull this thing off. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Sounds like He's got good control to do whatever He wants. Isaiah 46.10 says, Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times when things have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. And one of my favorites of the the, the sovereignty of God in all of the Bible, Daniel 4.35, after The king Nebuchadnezzar had looked out, saw what he had done, what he thought with his own hands, was bragging about it, bragging about his goodness, his riches, and all that he's able to accomplish. And God humbles him and lowers him to where he's like made into an ox. He grows long hair, long fingernails. His mind's gone. He eats the grass. And then he comes back to his right mind, and then he realizes in all this who really has got the power in the world, who really is in control in all the world. And here's what he says. An unbeliever says this, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and no one can stay his hand, stay his hand or say to him what have you done Jesus when he's taking the disciples across the uh, across the sea says hey we're going to go to the other side hop in the boat they get in the boat Jesus is there he falls asleep the winds come up. The seas are raging. They're tossing all over the place. They, the disciples, they freak out. They, Jesus, look at this. We're going to die. He stands up. He rebukes the storm. He rebukes the storm. He tells the storm to stop it, and it stops. He tells the waves to be still, and they're still. And the disciples look at him and marvel. And they look at each other and they say, who is this that the wind and sea obey him? Who is this? Jesus showing his authority. Only God has got authority over creation. No man has got authority over creation. So realize Jesus is God. Jesus is showing that he is God. He is showing his authority. So, so when we're thinking about this rich man coming in and having some power and having some ability to make things go well for me, now if I just get hooked up, if I get hooked up with this guy, maybe he can get these people off my back or maybe he can get me a job that's going to get me out. Maybe i got to get hooked up with this guy. Remember who's got all authority. Remember who can make everything happen. And then remember this. Matthew 6, 25 to 34 talks about Jesus being our provider. So he doesn't only have the authority to do it, he loves us, and in the midst of him loving us, he's our provider. He's the one that takes care of the birds of the air. How much more will he not take care of you? He takes care of everything. He says, don't be anxious. 
Don't be anxious. You don't have to be anxious any longer because you're following a God that loves you, that is taking care of you. In, in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, everything that we do, everything that God does is for our good. It tells us that if we love him and are called according to his purpose. That he loves us and it's for our good and he has the ability to carry it out. These are things that James wants to remind us of. It doesn't make any sense, people, when this guy comes in with all of his goods and all of his ability that he has to go back to the old way of thinking and go, this is who I need. This is who I need. I need this guy. James is saying, no, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. Yahweh is provider. God is provider. He's the one that says this happens and it happens. So faith trusts in Faith trusts in, um, in God for his provision. So faith sees no economic standing, sees no difference in people. Faith trusts in God for provision. Number three, faith rejoices in the riches of Jesus. Verse five, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen, chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? It's like, hey, hang on, guys, listen, look, look, look at me. <laughs> Hasn't God chosen the poor people to be rich in faith? Jesus doesn't desire the riches of him to be compared to the world, to that of the, of the riches of the world. There is no comparison. And James is trying to say that. You're trying to remind us that. Right? When we, these people are, are thinking about, uh, about putting their hope in man or in a system or in a structure or money. These things that those can provide, they're not to be compared with the riches of God. The poor receive the riches. The poor in faith. Not, now we know it's not always a social standing that none of the rich will ever receive because here's a rich person coming into a worship setting. But we do see, don't we? The rich young ruler, remember him in the gospel accounts? How he put his faith in his riches. Wanted to do the right thing. Wanted to follow God. Wanted to be saved. Wanted to have salvation. How can I be saved, he asks. And after a, a, a short exchange with Jesus, he said, I've done all these things. Jesus says, go and sell everything that you have and come and follow me. Go and sell all that you have. Come and follow me. Give that away. Come and follow me. And the rich young man, desiring eternal life, turned away sad, it says. Because he's putting hope in the things of the earth. Putting hope in the treasures of the earth. Saw the treasures that money could buy as more valuable than following Jesus, than, than having Jesus. Oh, the immeasurable riches that are in Jesus Christ from God the Father. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 real quick. Ephesians chapter 2. Are the riches of Jesus comparable to the riches of the world? Think about money, any amount of money. I don't care how much you want to think about All the things that it can buy. All the things that it can bring you. Think about great health. Think about great beauty. Think about great wisdom. Any of these things. Think about those things. And then contrast them with what we're going to read right here. I want to ask you, what is better? What is better? So chapter 2 of Ephesians, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And once you want. So go ahead and play with your toys. Go ahead and play with all the things that you want. But the Bible declares you're dead outside of Christ. So if you want to enjoy the riches of the world, here you are. And you were dead in trespasses and sins and once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom 
all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul paints a very grim picture here. Everyone falls into this category. No one is left out. Everybody is running after the passions of evil, of wickedness, and they love it. This is what they want to do. This is what they see as good. This is what they see as life. Here's their hope, and it all leads to destruction. All leads to despair. All leads to an eternity apart from anything good, apart from any kind of hope, apart from Jesus Christ. Now, take, now, now what, what is it that you want? What's all the stuff that you're after? How important is that? How big a deal is that compared to this? But God, in verse 4, but God being rich, in mercy. So here's the richness of God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here it is, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable means you cannot measure. That's what that means, literally. You cannot measure the riches of God's grace towards us that he's going to pour out on us in the coming ages. That's in eternity. So it will never stop. It will never stop. It will never stop. The richness of God poured out on us and his grace, it'll never stop. It'll never stop. It'll always continue. You cannot measure it. There's nothing that compare to it. Always an abundance of richness and mercy poured out on you for all eternity starting now. His mercy, His love, His grace towards you always. Always. Now what is it that you wanted to buy? What is it that you think is going to give you some hope? What is it that's going to bring you life? Don't compare anything to the riches that are in Christ Jesus. Don't look at that guy that comes in and go, man, if I could just be like him, if I could be like him and have Jesus, there's nothing to put Jesus next to. That's all over here. Paul says, I count everything as lost for the sake of knowing him. E -e Everything's over here on that side of the line. I want, I want him. I just want, I just want him. I've got to have him. Whatever, I just want to be found in him. Nothing compares to the riches that are in Jesus Christ. And Jane was reminding them. Remember your faith? Remember when you put your hope in, in Jesus? Yeah. He's loaded. Don't, don't put anything up against him. The poor become rich. The poor become rich. Number four. Faith desires the kingdom of God over the kingdom of the world or the things of the world. It's very similar to number three. We see it here once again in verse five. Listen, my beloved brothers, has, God, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Heirs of the kingdom. So he's reminding us, wait, wait, wait a minute, we're heirs of the kingdom. So you put your hope in the things of this world. So you want to go ahead and you want to hang out with that guy that can provide you maybe a little bit of comfort. Maybe he can change the, the, the direction of the, the things that are going on in your life by giving you a job. But, but you're heirs to an eternal kingdom. He can maybe change the outcome of, of a week, of a day, but two years. But the riches in Christ were heirs of a kingdom that never, ever passes away. All other kingdoms will pass away. His will remain. His will remain. His is a kingdom where we have life, where we have joy, where we have hope, where there's no more suffering. I'm talking about heaven now. No more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more confusion. And thank God, no more sin. Where I'm free, I just, I just love God and I love people. I, I mean, the kingdom of heaven, the, 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 the fullness of that, we see it now partially. But the fullness of that, you guys, there's, there's no comparison with that kingdom where we have life. 
where we have that hope forever and ever, a kingdom that God has built for us, a kingdom that he's prepared for us, a kingdom where he is the light, a kingdom where we exist with him, where he's our God and he's our people, uh, we're his people and he's our God, where, where, where we, everything is made right, everything that was broken is now made new, where the lost are saved, where the blind have sight, where the lame walk, where the lepers are cleansed. James is going, remember that, that's the kingdom. We're heirs to that kingdom. Who could possibly have more riches than us? This man that walks in, he's going to have more riches than us? What are you talking about? It's people who, who live for the things of this world and their riches, and they might have a great, what, 50, 60, 80 years? Then what? You didn't call that guy rich? No, no. We're heirs to the throne. We are heirs to the throne. Revelation chapter 4 tells us that we get to sit on the throne with Jesus. That's a place that we don't belong. The supper table. We're going to eat at a supper table where Jesus continues to serve us. We don't, we don't belong there either. And you want what? Not the things of this world. Not the kingdom of this world partiality and looking at someone with riches shows that we desire this kingdom. Faith shows us that we desire the kingdom of God. Number five, faith believes the promises of God. Faith believes the promises of God. Romans 4, 3 says, Abram, as before he was Abraham, Abram, Abram received a promise from God he was going to make him a great nation. And out of him that he was going to cover the entire earth. Many nations would be made from him. And Romans 4.3 says, Abraham, Abram believed God. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. He just simply believed God. He believed the promise of God. Hebrews 11.11 11 says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Yeah, she struggled in the beginning. She didn't hardly believe it. She couldn't believe that she was going to be pregnant, be that old and become pregnant. But obviously here we see that she believed because she believed not what her body was able to produce, didn't believe the circumstances of life, but she believed in the God who was over all that. He had the ability and that he was faithful to his promises. You guys, the world promises us all kinds of things. That, that even if they come, they're, they're short and they're fleeting. The, the world promises us, man, if you look a certain way, if you get built up a certain way, everybody will love you, everybody will have respect for you. If you're a woman and you, you do all your stuff up just right, everybody will love you and think well of you and think highly of you, and that will take you far in life. If you have this job, that, 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 man, you'll be something now. You'll really be, you, you live like this, you have this kind of home, this, this will provide for you this. You have the, the wealth and the treasures and the things of this world. The world promises all these things will work for you. Magazines are filled with it. Advertisements on TV are filled with it. If you just do this, this is, this is it. This, this will provide for you what you're looking for. This will provide for you hope. It'll give you life. It'll give you joy. God declares that he is all those things. Jesus said in John chapter 4, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, he tells the woman at the well, struggling woman just like the rest of us, he says, you drink of me and you will never thirst again. That is satisfaction. That is satisfaction guaranteed. To never thirst again. Remember, Jesus doesn't make empty promises. That's a promise. And it's the same promise, not just for that woman at the well, but for all of us. Showing partiality 
to rich people and the ways of the world reveals to us that, that, that we're trusting in the promises of the world, not in the promises of God. Number six, faith loves the law of liberty. Faith loves the law of liberty. So starting in verse eight. If you really fulfill the royal law to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Here it is. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So, so what he's saying here is, is showing partiality to, to, to the rich, separating people, get, having people in different castes in your mind or different structures in your mind shows you that you're the old way of the world, that you're thinking the old way, that you're thinking here's how the world works and in that is law. And James says, don't, don't think like that. Remember what we rejoice in. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. What is this law of liberty? It's the law of grace. See, we remember, remember the passage there in Ephesians chapter 2? We were once in bondage, enslaved to sin. R- running this way and, and not knowing this was a bad thing. That's bondage. That's held captive. And, and Jesus says, I've come to set the captives free. In him, I'm freed. When I believe in him, he has atoned for my sin. He's not only atoned for my, he's helped me to think right, to see that this is a bad way to go. This is a good way. He helps me see and believe that he is life. Then I realize that, man, I've messed this all up. The, in Acts chapter 2, these people finally see that Jesus is God and he's good and he's great. And they go, oh my goodness, now what do we do? I've blown it. I now can see, this is, oh, it's a problem. It says they were cut to the heart. Like, oh my gosh, we killed God. All of my, oh man, this is not good. But in Jesus, we have hope. Why? Peter said in that moment to those people, he says, repent and believe. Repent and be baptized. Follow this Jesus. Follow Jesus. He gives you Liberty, no longer held captive. I put my faith in him, I have liberty. I have freedom to not be enslaved to my sin here and in eternity. Right now, I can be freed, and I am freed from my sin. His grace does that. This law of liberty does that. And James is saying, let's identify with that. What are you, you're, you're identifying with the old way of thinking the old way, the process, the steps, the to-do list. Who's better? Who's got more? You're thinking like a carnal man. So speak and so act as those who will be judged under the law of liberty. Lastly, number seven, faith extends mercy. Faith extends mercy. Verse 13, for judgment is without mercy, for judgment is without mercy from God, to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. So Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Many of you are very well aware of the Lord's Prayer. I'll read it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And here's a verse that doesn't rarely gets tied in together right after this with the, uh, with the prayer. Verse 14 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your heavenly father forgive your trespasses so we see there's a connection there's a correlation 
to you receiving forgiveness from God as, re, as, as, as forgiveness flows from your heart. So somehow, some way, as you receive the grace of God, as you understand the, the mercy of God on you, that you should have been killed, that you should not have an inheritance, that you should not be an heir to the throne with Christ. As you understand that, as you receive it, the only way I'm receiving this is through Jesus and his grace to me. It is not by my doing, it's not by my effort. As I'm receiving this, as I believe in this, and I put my hope in that, that grace transforms my heart and my mind to then extend grace to other people. I don't put myself above other people any longer. I'm not circling, remember, my own people, my own kingdom group. People are like building me up, and so I can love them. It frees me up to love everybody. The gospel frees me up to love people. It frees me up to tell other people how great God is. I don't value being lifted up by man, so I don't need to do that with you. I don't value being looked a certain way, so I don't have to lie to you. We can love each other. We can be friends. And I don't value stuff. And so certainly if you take something from me, I can forgive you. Because I realize you're just like me. I'm no different than you. I, I realize that I put my hope in the things of this world too sometimes. And to show them the, the love of God in that, I, I want to forgive them. So God says, when you get this, when this sinks into your heart, when this penetrates your heart and your mind, when you're being transformed by God's grace, by his love, you will extend mercy to others. Matthew 18 is a parable of this. The, the disciples asked Jesus, how many times do I got to forgive? I mean, the law back then stated like two or three times. That's pretty good. Seven times? Seven, so, so Peter just upped the ante. I'll go twice. How about, how about now? Because he sees that Jesus is a God of forgiveness. That he loves people. Jesus says 70 times seven. Like, and while they're still stupefied, he goes into a parable. He says, here, let me, let me tell you something. So there, there's this man, and he's working for this master. And he owed him a debt. He owed this master a debt. Don't know how it accrued. A, a, a a what am I trying to say? Accrued. There, there we go. Don't know how it accrued, but um, it's in the millions, suffice it to say. It's in the millions. It translates into the millions in today's dollars. And, and he can no longer, he can't pay this off. He could not work for this guy long enough to pay this off. And so by rights, this master could throw him in jail and make him and his family pay for this debt until it was paid off or it would never happen. So he could kind of own this family his whole life. But instead, he releases him of that debt, completely wipes it away. You don't owe, you don't owe me nothing. Gone. Forgiven of that debt. A debt that he could not pay. And so he goes out and the other workers hear about this and they're probably just amazed and, and uh uh, one of the other workers owes him some money. Like he lends him something or something. He owes him some money. And it's not a tiny amount. It's like three months wages. And instead of remembering that he had been forgiven of this gigantic debt and remembering what mercy looks like and feels like, he, expre he expresses power and authority over him. He wanted him to pay him back. He was going to hold him captive until he paid him back. And the other crew members, they, they, they know of both stories about how wicked he's being. This guy just owes him a little bit. He won't forgive him, but how he's forgiven much. So they go tell the master, and the master tells him, because you didn't forgive him of your debt, no longer am I going to forgive you of your debt. And that whole parable, at the end of that parable, it says, and this is how the Father is with us. You guys, we are recipients of mercy. We are recipients of of, of mercy and his great graces that we receive the inheritance of Jesus. When we look at the picture in, in Ephesians chapter 2, and I, I write my name in there, and I go, that has been me. When I look in Ezekiel chapter 36, where you see that God is the one, in spite of the wickedness and, the, and, the, and, and just the name being tarnished, by the Israelites. So here's what God does to them. He, he takes out their heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh and says, now I'm, gonna, I'm also going to help you follow me and desire to come after me. Then later on it talks about how 
that Ezekiel sees this image of all these dead bones. They're all dead. Bones are dead. They don't have any life. You guys ever seen dead bones, dead carcasses? They're, they're dead. This is his vision. This is what he's looking at. Jesus says, hey, tell them to come to life. Tell them to put sinews on them. Tell them to put muscles up. Tell them to stand up. Only God can do that. You've got to immerse yourself in what is true about life. What is true about God. You've got to look at the mercy that you have received from God on your life in order for it to be extended through you. But James clearly says, hey, if you've got real faith, if you really trust in Jesus, you, you remember that story. You recall that story that you were once dead. You were dead in your trespasses, but God in your life. But God. And if you, if you dwell on that, if you meditate, that's real faith. I put my faith in that God that did that for me and gave me the only hope I could ever have. And look at the inheritance that I have now. How can you not have mercy towards other people? The Bible declares you can't. James says, no, we're people of mercy. We're people of mercy. So closing here. So what does this mean? What, what can I take away from this? So... I just go out and I, I, I just like don't show preference to rich people now. So I go and I like find poor people and I start doing things. And, and remember at the beginning of this, I was saying, you know, James does not want you to, nor does Jesus want us to start thinking that, that now we've got to go and start doing stuff for God. So just make a list. And so my list just got bigger today. I wrote, now, now no, no partiality towards the rich. I'll give to the poor. This isn't a to-do list. I want to ask you to look introspectively into your heart, into your mind, as hard as it is, and it's hard to even know our own selves. It really is. What do you think about the riches of Jesus? What do you think about the riches of this world? What if you could have anything right now, what would it be? What if you could have anything for the rest of eternity? What would it be? What would that one thing be? I'll give you a hundred things. hundred things. Have a hundred things for the rest of eternity. A thousand. What would those things be? Because there's nothing that compares to the riches of Jesus. There's nothing that compares to Jesus. Everything ends on him. Not his stuff that he gives. Him. He is the gift. He is our hope. He is our glory. And if your heart isn't thinking that way, if your mind isn't thinking that way, I love the things of the world, you might say, and I, I want to love God like that, but I don't. What can I do? I do regard rich people. I do regard people of status, and gosh, that's revealing of my heart. What do I do? Repent. Start with repentance. Say what's true. Even if you don't think it, if you believe this, say what's true. God, you are better than all things. Now, I am sorry I put things before you. I want you and nothing but you. I want to be satisfied in you. I don't want you plus something else. I just want you. Start with repentance. And there's some practical things that you can do as well, you guys. What would happen if you spent all day today and let's say tomorrow too? Let's give you two days. Take the day off tomorrow. Go to a brand new car lot and be around those cars all day long. And then realize you get to buy one. You get to walk away with one. Where's your mind and your thoughts going to go? I mean, you're going to be around the smells and you're driving and you're going to see the power and all the stuff and the, and the kind of the pitch about how great this car is. And cars are great. They, they do great things for us. They get us from, you know, here to there. 
But where's your heart going to be? Where's your mind going to be? What are you going to be wrapped up in? You're going to be thinking about the cars. You're going to be thinking about the stuff. I mean, you're going to be picturing yourself in style. What if you go, like, on the, say, the, the tour of homes? I'm a builder, and my mind thinks that way. Go to the tour of homes, and you see all these dream houses, and you see all the amenities that these houses have. And you get to experience them for a time. And you sit in the hot tub, and all these things, and all the trinkets and toys that this stuff has, and the gadgets, and gosh, it's amazing. You just keep walking in house after house after house, and touching this, and smelling this, and laying on all the luxuries, and the comfort, and all of the things. What's your mind going to think about? I want one of those. How could it not? Matthew chapter 6 tells us that the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, how are we going to look at these things how are we going to take part in these things and then love Jesus more somehow? We watch TV and we hear over and over and over all the advertisements and all the shows how, how great we are, how everything that needs to be catered to me, all, you know, everything that we do, all service, it's all about me. And I'm supposed to love Jesus more after that. I hear all the things about how great, you know, these people are and this person. This person's elevated up to here. And I elevate them up there with that too. And I want to do like that. I want to do this. And I think about those and it's like, I, I can't figure out why I don't love Jesus more. Why I, I just keep thinking about the things of the world. You can't, you can't wander around thinking about the things of the world, partake in everything that there is of the world and expect Jesus to then come out of that. Romans chapter 12 tells us, you guys, so in light of the mercies of God, so the first 11 chapters are talking about how great God is and about how much he loves us and how he has given himself for us. And says, so Paul says, you know, just beg and in light of these, in light of these mercies, lay, lay down your life, for, offer your life as a living sacrifice to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. This is what's reasonable is, is follow God. He's life. He's life giving. And then it says, don't be conform to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so right now your mind's going i don't see jesus like this then don't be conformed to the world don't put your face in front of all the things that you think you might because if i do it i'll i'll want it too look at jesus look to jesus you've got to get in here you've got to look in the word you've got to immerse yourself in what is true if you immerse yourself in what is false you will think that way we're not smart enough to figure that out. We're not smart enough to look at all the things of the world, look at all the luxuries that the flesh desires, then to go, uh-uh, all about Jesus. No, we're told we've got to be in the Word. We're quick to forget. We're quick to forget. That's why we take communion, you know. Jesus said, do this often and remember me. Because we're quick to forget. We're quick to forget where our salvation comes from. We're quick to forget what our faith is in. These people are... In home churches, they're in churches and they're being persecuted because they put their faith in Jesus and now they're forgetting. They see a rich man walking through the door. Oh man, this could help me out. James is going, no, remember your faith in Jesus. You want to think well? Immerse yourself in the word of God. Immerse yourself in the plans of God. Be obedient to God. Help him or ask him to help you think like him. Who can know the mind of God but the spirit of God? Be in the spirit. You'll think like God. Be obedient to him. Even in this passage in James, closing with this, in, in, in verse uh, 25 of chapter 1, J James says this, But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer, who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in all that he does. He's saying, look into this law. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, law of liberty. Hebrews chapter 12 says, look into, look into the author and perfecter of our faith. Look to Jesus. He's the author and perfecter. So you want to run this race? You want to finish well? You want to finish strong? You want to be found in Christ? Look to Jesus. Look to him. Look to him. Look to him. Quit looking at the things of the world. This is what James is saying. This is what James is saying. Look to Jesus. Look to that law of liberty. Meditate upon him. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we love your son. We love what your son has done for us. God, forgive me when I compare Jesus and the riches of him, the riches of you, 
with the things of the world. That is foolishness. That is just stupidity on my part. Forgive me for that. I know your forgiveness is big enough for that. God, and help me, help us, Lord. Help us to put in front of us things that are going to be beneficial towards thinking about Christ and about what he has done. Help us to surround ourselves with other believers. Help us to be a part of what you're doing in this church. Help us to be a part of your bigger call towards making disciples of all nations. Help us to think of all the things that you're doing. Let us utilize our gifts in this body. Let us read the word. Let us rejoice in, in song. God, let us constantly fill our minds with you. Help us. Push us in these areas. God, let us show, show us and convict us where we've been spending way too much time over here on things that may not be bad, but they're just things that aren't you. God, I just remember Paul saying, I count everything as loss. Everything is lost for the sake of knowing you. Jesus Christ, my Lord. God, I want that to be true in my life. I'm sure that everybody here wants that to be true in our lives. It's a, it's a step-by-step process. It's a daily process of getting back up, remembering who is greater. And even when we don't think that, we know that to be true. And we walk in that. And so we look at what is true, what is good, what is hopeful, what is perfect, what is pure, what is lovely. We meditate upon those things. God, let us not look at this as a to-do list. Now i got to go do something. Lord, let us look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We love you, Jesus. In your precious name, amen.